catch up on all the live shows right here on africatechradio.com. Africa and indeed the world faces delicate balance with how to go about setting the rules and regulations in this digital world. It all seemed easy at first, but now considering how deeply involved we all are now and what is involved, one major part of this digital existence, which is social media, is indeed where the balancing act lies now. Social media is a computer-based technology that facilitates the sharing of ideas, thoughts, and information through the building of virtual networks and communities. By design, social media is internet-based and it gives users quick electronic communication of content. Now, content includes personal information documents, videos, and photos. Users engage with social media via a computer, a tablet, or smartphone via web-based software applications. This is how Investopedia summarily defines social media, and I think it is quite succinct. Much of the talk about regulation of social media has been linked to misinformation and intentional disinformation. In the five years after the world suddenly woke up to misinformation, you know, the word post-truth and fake news were named words of the year, 2016 and 2017 respectively. Two major groups have reacted much differently to this news, politicians and government regulators who got busy drafting laws to fight it, and then civic society groups with journalists who were either busy setting up fact-checking organizations or trying to stop the laws by the first group from seeing the light of the day. Now, have both parties ever considered a concerted effort? Would it make any difference if they did? So far in Africa, we found that Benin, Burkina Faso, Cote d'Ivoire, Ethiopia, Kenya, Malawi, Niger, Nigeria, Senegal, South Africa, Lesotho, Zimbabwe, Tanzania, and Uganda have all introduced laws and regulations in response to growing misinformation, which have impacted the use or the non-use of the social media space. For what it is worth, at the beginning of October 2019, the Internet Observatory at Stanford University in the United States of America identified a network of 200 Russian-linked Facebook profiles spreading disinformation in eight African countries. With a combined following of over a million, the operation was directly linked to the infamous Russian tycoon currently sanctioned for similar interference in the 2016 United States elections. So the problem is real. but. Our governments also taking advantage of it to clamp down on the general vibrancy of social media, including healthy political opposition. What will it mean if states can control social media and other online broadcast platforms? Should the social media space be regulated? Isn't it already being regulated? How much regulation is needed? And what is the best way to go about this delicate discussion in order to have a balanced situation? What will the implication of this be for small African businesses? Now, this goes straight to the heart of the dilemma facing policymakers across not only Africa, but the entire world. How to regulate social media while maintaining the trust of the people. 
In this episode, we hear from a guest who has strong connections with the Nigerian Regulatory Authority and the Ministry of Communications and Digital Economy, where he's helping to pave the way to real change in broadband and telecoms in Nigeria and improving the lives of communities across the country. He's immediate past president of the Association of Telecommunications Companies of Nigeria, ATCON, the National Coordinator for the Alliance for Affordable Internet, and a member of the Institute of Directors, IOD, both in Nigeria and in London. He's a techie-turned-business leader who has held a range of senior leadership and management positions and has a proven track record in growing profitable revenue and profit before internet and tax, PBIT. Olushola Teniola is a guest today. Welcome, sir. How are you doing? It's great to have you on this conversation. Good morning to you, Anthony. And it's a pleasure and an honor to be on your program this morning. And good morning to your listeners. Yeah, so what's your take on the recent moves to regulate social media and what's the implication of this proposed regulation? Now, you work closely with the regulators in Nigeria, so help us better understand because there are doubts, there are half-truths and there are rumors. That question, it's very poignant when we think of what's just happened to Twitter. So I wouldn't use Twitter as the leverage for our discussion, but let's just take ourselves back a bit. You mentioned in your opening remarks that the social media is built on the internet. That's true. The social media as a concept has been around since the early 90s. There were certain platforms that were used to share music and other types of files. So the advent of exchanging files, which are photos, multimedia, videos, data, etc., isn't new. This is something that has been developed back in the labs in the year 1980s, 1990s. So the concept around social media isn't new. The concept around fake news isn't new. The concept around misinformation or disinformation isn't new. Because on the offline world, there's always been this issue around propaganda and fake news. So where are we posited as a nation? We are now in 2021. It is literally 20 years since the advent of GSM, Group Special Mobile, okay? The technology that started Nigeria off on that digital road because it was called 2G, second generation. This enabled not only voice to be carried digitally, but also allowed SMS and text messaging to a degree and a very slow, slow speed internet. We call it narrowband. Why do I lay emphasis on that? Because until up to then, we had 1G and we had our fixed lines. For those who are not familiar with the fixed line, that was the only means of communication for the majority of people on planet Earth since 1865 to, in the case of Nigeria, 1993, when it was very prevalent. And Having a phone, a mobile phone, was only for the elites because there's only about 20,000 of these phones and they were actually attached to a car or a truck. So you couldn't actually walk around the streets with a mobile phone or they will think that you're mad anyway. So now that brings the context because a lot of the listeners are young. They've not actually lived in that environment, in that era. So I need to state that because this is a journey. Now, the regulation that governs communications came out in 2003 under the Nigerian Communications 
Act 2003. So you can see we had technology and we're doing certain things before regulation came up. And likewise, the NBC, that's the Nigerian Broadcasting Corporation's regulation, came out, I believe, in 2007. So you can see, even broadcasting, you are broadcasting right now on the radio station. The actual regulations and laws governing all that were, came out way after these technologies were introduced. So what am I pinpointing to? In terms of Nigeria, we've always been lagging behind technologies growth and changes. So what's happened of late is that there are certain concerns that government is battling with. Yes, regulations is one aspect. Second is law. But the most biggest elephant in the room for government is how do they control information that is multifaceted. What do I mean by that? It comes from different areas. Unlike the offline world, where government censors the media, both broadcasting and printed is censored, the online world isn't censored. I can literally wake up in my pajamas early in the morning. If I feel great, I post something that is positive. If I feel bad, I post something that is viewed as negative. Now, the issue is that the internet was built way before social media. And the internet was built on the premise of free flow of information and exchange of information. Net neutrality. That means any information I send out, if I send it to colleagues or I send it to other people, then I have free will to express what I want to say. The aspect of social media, and this is very important, is that it's a closed community, albeit now we have billions of users in these closed communities. And it's an online community. It isn't actually working directly with the internet. It, the platform interacts with the internet to connect with you. But the layers of what you're using in terms of the big social media platforms that we all know, and I don't need to mention, they expect you to sign in as an account holder. So literally you're signing in twice because the internet login is different from your social media login. So the internet login by your internet service provider is a default access to the internet. What you do, you could go around blindfolded or if you're more knowledgeable, you know sort of the maze of the internet. I call it the maze because it has vast storage of information. So trying to put these pieces together would expect you to have some level of expertise. But social media takes away that level of expertise so that even young users and when i mean young users anyone below uh, uh, 10 years old or 12 can access the social media and start to use it but remember you're going in without any uh, teaching any lessons any guidance so you are there and you post information as you feel fit and the internet allows that to happen and social media aligns with free speech and free internet usage so the fundamentals of the internet is about connection and connected to anyone who can connect into the internet the fundamentals of the social media is actually really for good is for you to connect and to share more information the problem is how much information should you share and what type of information should you share 
And that's where you see that the social media platforms of late, especially after pressures from several governments, you mentioned a few countries, and especially where they originate from, which is Silicon Valley, which is based in California, in America, the American governments, through their Federal Communications Commission, equivalent of our Nigerian Communications Commission, has regulated and applied laws to govern these social media platforms that are owned by big techs because they come out from America. So the governing laws already that governs how social media should behave in America and globally, because we have to remember that the internet was built by the Americans, and that's really the issue here. So it carries American culture. And under that globalization of American culture is where it clashes with other cultures, namely like Nigeria, for instance. So in Nigeria's case, and this is the real important point, is that as I described earlier, we're still playing catch up because we don't build the platforms. We don't build the technology. We are recipients. And because the platform doesn't come with any warning labels or how to do other than the community rules that each social media platform may put on, may not enforce, but is always in small print for you to read if you want to. So you know exactly what you should and should not do, i.e. if your content is viewed as abusive, as violent, homogeneous, and other areas that they feel is negative to that community, it will be taken down. So naturally, one society will consider as positive and another society will treat as negative. And that's where the clashes come because the rules governing social media platforms that we use, the big name ones, are really governed by a society driven through the lies and the lens and the eyes of America. And those views and values are being tested by other countries. And I take another country that is very topical at the moment, in this case is India, that is testing the rules that are already implied within social media platforms community. So Nigerian government has old regulation. They need to update those regulations. I agree with government in this case. They can't have a static outdated, outmoded regulation trying to regulate the new ways of doing things. And what do I mean? As I pointed to you, broadcasting at the moment is still very analog-based. But we must be careful here. Yes, it's analog in nature, but actually its transmission is actually digital. But you wouldn't see that because that's like in a black box. And that information usually is transversed over the internet. But you wouldn't know that either. So... There's a reality that the broadcasting that you do on radio, on TV, or anywhere is actually going through the internet because it's saving costs. But the issue now, because of the over-the-top applications and the social media platforms, they have new business models. They are able to tap in to those zeros and ones that are coming across the internet and to diffuse that information in a manner that is instantaneous. Remember... In the past, we used to use horses to send messages. And recently, obviously, we used newspapers. But newspapers are printed, and usually there was a delay before you got the information. Now, with the internet world, you get it instantaneously. And that's where the concerns are, that the speed of fake news, which has always been around offline, is quicker to be absorbed by a recipient in its immediacy. And immediacy is what's causing the problem because as soon as I 
receive information if I don't fact check it or if I do fact check it and I'm not fact checking it properly and then I forward it on and I have every right to forward it on because of the rules of the internet and what governs free flow of information, then that information is now broadcasted to others that might see it as fact. And that's where the problem lies because when there's more negativity in a society, that gets generated much more than positive news. So in the case of the reaction of our current government and administration in the federal government, they are battling many issues, which are society issues, both right from security, employment, schooling, education, health, and etc., etc. So naturally, the debates on these social media platforms will be about the negative side of what's going on in your lives. That's the whole point of social media. Social media means socializing, gathering in a hall, but it's a virtual hall, and shouting loudly. And that's what you see. The, the, the likes that you see on social media is saying, I agree. I agree with that statement. And you're basically amplifying. The case of government is that the government is using the same platforms that are built by the United States of America that are governed by their laws and regulations and are trying to now overlay their own regulation. And that's where it's getting very difficult. And I think what you're finding now is the friction in between what government seeks to do with social media in terms of regulation and what they may not possibly be able to do because of the American laws and rules that govern the proliferation of social media. And again, just before I close on this part, there is the issue of the power of social media. It is the reality that big tech is very powerful. Big tech is very powerful because the millennials and those below 34 years old they grew up in the world of the digital era. And as I said, I took you back 20 years ago that digital GSM handset was introduced in Nigeria. Remember that the same, your peers that are outside Nigeria, they were fortunate to have even been born when a mobile phone was introduced in 1992 as a digital mobile phone. I used my first mobile phone in 1988. And that's before some people were even born who was listening onto this program. So you can see that when you are exposed to certain technology, your expectation and how you use it is far different from someone who's only just been exposed to it. So what's happened is that government itself hasn't really absorbed technology in the same manner that the millennials in Nigeria, and they are in the majority, have adopted it. And it's the millennials now that are represented in the digital world, but not represented in government. So the older generation are struggling somewhat to accept the new ways of communicating, doing business, and running our lives in a manner that is very much about virtual communication. Yeah. And I think that's where the issue lies. And until that is solved, we will continually be struggling with getting the right balance in between what is suitable and what is beneficial for the country and mainly for the youth to create a future for themselves going into the years of 2030, 2040, and 2050. Thank you. Yeah, that's very important. You've raised a lot of issues, issues of whether to whitewash the reality, what exactly the reality is, shrinking civic space, like some will talk about, the only space for decentralized, net neutral method or mode of sharing information, especially in African countries like Nigeria. But I wouldn't want to dwell on the so many issues, the amendment of the NBC Act and all of that right now. Not a lot of countries have cracked the knot when it comes to all these issues. 
would there be a thing such as an appropriate or proper regulation of social media? Because you've mentioned India, there's Turkey, there are countries all across the world who are currently in this issue. Now, if there is a thing called proper or appropriate regulation of social media, which a lot of people actually disagree to, right? Some people feel there should be nothing like regulation. Now, how should we go about it? If at all, there will be anything called proper regulation of social media? Yeah, great question. And I want to take you back to three years ago. It's very poignant. We need to really look at historical facts and information. Three years ago, Mark Zuckerberg, the founder of Facebook and the CEO of Facebook, appeared before the Senate in America. It was the first time that big tech in Silicon Valley... Sorry, let me repeat that. Let me rewind a bit. That isn't true. Microsoft went through the same thing in the 80s. Microsoft was deemed dominant and a giant. I remember that because I grew up in that era of Windows, you know, so and we were hackers. And one of the things that we complained about was the fact that the chipsets of Intel already had an advantage for Microsoft software. So what am I trying to say? There's always been this trying to rein in the big tech by the politicians. So when Mark Zuckerberg came and appeared up before the Senate in 2017, 2018, he was asked, is it time to regulate social media? And Mark Zuckerberg was neither here nor there because actually the Senate didn't know what to do with big tech and the power that they wielded. Because remember, you're talking about a single social media platform having maybe a billion followers. A billion followers is bigger than many countries other than China, China and India. One third of the uh, world. India. No, yeah, one but let's put it this way. Now they could claim they have 2 billion followers. That's powerful. So it's not only about financial might, it's about political and social economic might. That's what they display. So Mark Zuckerberg, a very smart young man, knew that if he resisted regulation, he would be picked on like how the Senate had picked on Microsoft, you know, in the past. So he read his history. And also, Microsoft had read about the telecoms industry in terms of AT&T, that's the American Telecommunication Telegraph, which was broken up into baby bells, you know. So they've experimented in breaking these big companies up. And Mark Zuckerberg didn't want that for his company. He still wanted to acquire innovation and technology. That's why he's acquired WhatsApp and he's acquired, I think, Instagram. And he will continue to do that because... He knows that the same path of growth he's following is what Microsoft has done and ATT. And there's several others. I just pick on the really popular ones because those are case studies in business schools. So America has already started to regulate. The problem we're seeing now is multiple regulation because Europe, in the case of UK and France, are fining these OTT players because of either abuse of power, anti-competitive behavior, etc. So there's already a regulation that is going on. However, self-regulation is just as important as external regulation or government regulation. Because what we're finding and what we're seeing is that regulation is lagging behind the technology evolution. And they're struggling to actually understand what is actually driving these models or these business models. And that was very apparent when Mark Zuckerberg was continuously asked the same question in different ways by different senators. They couldn't grasp what this young man's company was about. And so what you have 
and it's very important, is that you have a generational gap going on here. You have the powers in each of these countries you've mentioned actually handled and managed by an older generation that is not privy to the thinking and the ways of this new generation. So you tend to find that countries where the leaders are almost of the same age or maybe not too far apart from the founders or, or instigators of technology development, there isn't much friction. But if you come back to where we are, and the reality is that we have that wider gap, and it's called the chasm gap, because there isn't much communication going on in between the younger generation and the older generation. So the laws, the regulations that are being brought up right now is good to have a discussion, but I would argue that this discussion is not being had by the right people. And the right people in the room should be the youth and the young ones actually assessing, maybe educating, maybe putting their case forward so that the older generation can see reason. Because what you don't want, you don't want to stifle innovation. And you don't want to actually set the situation where Nigeria now falls back and slips in the world. And the world I'm describing is the digital world. Because you have to remember that the world keeps going on. And if there is a need for regulation, you're right. We need to have a balanced regulation. Do we have a golden gun or a panacea to solve this? Or silver bullet, sorry, to solve this? No, there isn't one, unfortunately. It's only through concerted dialogue with civic society, academia, all stakeholders and governments that sits around and says, look, what are we trying to build? And remember, I said, what are we trying to build? Because we didn't build these social media applications. China has built its own version. India has its own version in some respects. So we should learn from those other jurisdictions and maybe build our own version that replicates our idiosyncratic nature, our culture, our languages, our nuances, because it's going to be very difficult to try and adapt and tweak an, a very popular, a very prevalent platform that is used by billions of people around the world to suit a nation of 200 million people. I think it's virtually impossible. So what you find is that there'll be frustration. So yes, government has seen it right to try and amend certain regulations and acts, but they also have to recognize that until we have a common regulatory entity that looks and sees broadcasting and communications as one, you're going to have this dichotomy and actually regulatory conflicts. Because right now, as I speak to you, every internet service provider can take down information if told to do so by government. That already exists in their licenses and as well as the GSM operators. So there's no need to tweak the NBC regulation anymore because it's already provided for. So we already have laws that tries to deal with misinformation, content that is libelous, quote unquote. You know, so we should use and enforce the current laws and structures and not try and create new ones. Because what's happening right now under the NBC, where they're trying to push through this social bill acts and amendments, is that they are actually now creating conflicts with other laws and other regulators. And I think this is where we as a nation need to step back a bit and not rush into trying to solve a short-term problem when we should be looking at a long-term view. And so any regulation that comes in, if we currently have a regulation that, that's not really performing as government would like it to do, then they should revisit it and find out why not, what is the impact, what are the issues, and solve those issues. 
using current regulation and structures. And where they see that those structures are inappropriate or limited, then they can enhance. But it should be together in a collaborative manner and not in this one agency doing one thing that conflicts with another agency and then we have another agency that doesn't know what those two agencies are doing. That won't work. And I think that this is a good time to actually get governments to heed a call, to call a consultative stakeholder forum and engagement so that we don't actually slip up going forward. Because I think if you push through and rush through these things, you're more likely to not achieve anything. Thank you. Yeah, so the current wave of restrictions and shutdowns in Africa, just like it's currently going on in Eswatini, uh, four days now, shutdown of the internet, it just shows across Africa some form of short-sightedness by those who currently regulate the space. Now, in the short term and long term, if this wave continues, what does this mean for small African businesses who right now, based on the fact that there are no other platforms, rely on these platforms to create for themselves whatever they want to create? What exactly is the implication for this if we continue like this? And how long do you think it will take us to actually sit down and build something? Well, you know, I've always puzzled. And I've always been puzzled. And I've been in this street for a very long time. You know, and I've been very fortunate. I've been on some great projects in my life. And I'm puzzled by the last part of your question because you've hit the nail on the head. Why are we frightened? What is it that's frightening us? You're really puzzled. And yes, you've described certain African countries that have divorced or disconnected themselves from the internet. It's suicidal. I, I say it no other than that because... The reality is that the extractive industries are not benefiting the nation, the African continent, as it's supposed to. There's actually a lot more capital outflights, flights, outflow than inflow. And I think I speak to the youth here. Would youth have to be able to divorce and decouple themselves from that reliance of extractive industries as the only means of survival? Because when you look at the dynamics of the Forbes a list, for instance. And, you know, Forbes takes, it catalogs the billionaires over a long period of time. There was a time when the extractive industry barons were the leaders, the top 10 billionaires in the world. That's totally different now. It's all high-tech. All high-tech. And it's the knowledge. It's knowledge society. It's what's in between your ears. So that's why I'm baffled and puzzled why we, as the largest black nation on earth, that's Nigeria I'm talking to, and we have a population in Africa of 1.3 billion or thereabouts of Africans. And we are struggling to match what China is doing or what India is doing. Alternatives, that's the word, alternatives. That shouldn't take us many years. We have some very bright people. We have a funding industry that is growing, especially in Nigeria, in terms of venture capital. There's a startup community. So I see that there should be no reason we shouldn't be able to build our own version of social media platforms. But remember, even Mark Zuckerberg's platform is a creation of another version of a social media platform. So we should be able to create our own. And therefore, government would then be able to have some level of influence on its configuration and the way it interacts with its citizen. Because at the moment, government doesn't have anything. And that's what baffles me even more. Because government is trying to force something that really I don't think they can do. But they will try anyway. But they're also doing it because 
they also want revenue. And I think once you have this demand for revenue and you're looking at the other aspects of trying to censor content, that's when you're getting yourself into a muddled situation because you're desperate for revenue. So you're looking for taxes for a platform that wasn't built by you. And therefore, you're going to have to share your revenues or the taxes you get as revenues with other uh, large, richer countries that have created their platforms or own the platforms. So, you know, you're always fighting from a, a side and a position of weakness. And that's what I see here. And we shouldn't be actually engaging in that. We should actually not ignore it, but we should actually focus on the local indigenous companies. Why aren't we bolstering, supporting, and encouraging Nigerian software companies to build a social media platform? I just don't understand it. And I think that comes on to your earlier point around where do we go from here? Because it's really important. I mean, we can talk about the past and, you know, the ills of our society. There's also good aspects to our society. It's us that is portraying the negative parts that you're seeing on social media. Not the actual platform owners. They provide you the space. You decided to share information that you viewed as your rights. So we as a society need to think about our orientation. What is Nigeria to us? What do we define Nigeria as? What does it mean? How do we see it? Because I'm sure on American platforms, and especially the American versions that you see on these social medias, the discussion and debates may be, might be about gun control or might be about the size of pizzas or the wastage of food. You know, every country has a problem, you know, and that platform reflects it. You can't stop that. And that's why I think that is a, you're going down the wrong path. You think that human beings cannot talk about certain things. On the internet, there's the dark side. There's the good side. You just have to find which side you want to be. And you can't stop people from doing bad. That doesn't exist. So, you know, I think we should focus our attention on, okay, as we as Nigerians, what are we giving to the digital world? What is our productivity that we're taking from these social media platforms? And I, I think the point you made that S or MSMEs are actually losing. They're losing the daily livelihoods. That should be more important because if they prosper, then the taxes generated from those businesses and from the employees that they employ will go to governments. So it's like you're taking a double-barrel shotgun and shooting yourself in the foot. So disconnecting yourself from the internet is not a solution. It's spite in the face. Engaging with big tech companies to understand where they're coming from and what they're trying to do to improve your society is where the focus should be. Not on the negative aspects all the time because actually it's a reflection of the society, not the tech companies. So I think that's where I am puzzled. And in terms of quantum numbers, in terms of what they're losing, we as Alliance for Affordable Internet and uh, the National Coordinator, there was a reference that was made, a legitimate reference, which stated that the cumulative loss could be anything close to, for one year, that is, on MSMEs, if there's a loss of access to a particular platform, I will name it Twitter, it can amount to $1.3 billion annualized. That's the loss that could be visualized or a reality for those that are reliant on Twitter and not take into into fact that there might be alternative access to the same platform, but just the fact that it's such a buoyant social media platform and it has different ways that different SMEs are using to engage. That's the likely loss directly to those um, SMEs.
Thank you. Yes. Now, of course, one of the things I first thought about when a lot of conversation about misinformation and disinformation and cutting off totally from the sources of where they're being shared, I talked about matching information with misinformation or disinformation. Education, right? Very important if you're going to fight any of these things. Now, also, Bayes Erosion Profits Sharing, BEPS, is something new I learned about that maybe shows promise, some promise of holding the big tech companies responsible of making sure the taxes get to countries even when they're not physically located there as far as they get something from those countries. Now, down to the youths, because it seems like the youths are part of this, but actively they keep restricting themselves from actively participating in making sure they stand their feet and say, you know what, at this point, we have to make this happen. Do you think the youths have been in agreement with all the things that are happening, especially on the continent in Africa? Or are they not living up to expectation? Are they giving up as much as they have taken? Or do you think it's time the youths maybe did something much more proactive? How do you know that the youth are not doing anything? Maybe they've gone underground. Hmm. Maybe they're not communicating with governments. Maybe they've gone into other platforms that are not known by governments. That's the problem. Yeah, there's silence. Dangerous. There's a vacuum. You've got it spot on. The Yabatek Society, the Innovator Club Hub Society, they're doing such stuff. They're getting external foreign direct investments. They're getting recognized. What about local domestic investment? What about government supports? You know, I could go on and on and on. The worst thing for any government is to think that they've quenched the creativity and the spirits of the youth. That's not the case. The future is not about the current generation. It's about the future generation. And I've always wondered why we don't actually have this engagement with the youth. When I say this engagement, I mean real engagement. Maybe it's our society. Maybe we, we defer too much to the elders. So as a young person, you are not so forward. Maybe that's the case. Maybe that's why American youths do much better. You know, every country has a problem. You know, maybe that's why the Chinese youth are doing much better. They put forward their issues and society allows them to. Remember, allowing and suppressing. The actions of government right now will seem to be suppressing. So the youth are saying, well, we're not going to engage. I mean, I, I I have a daughter who's a millennial. I know if I'm been too hard on her, she just disconnects. Or is it called delete now? You do delete <laughs> uh, or cancel. Uh, you people, yeah, so that's what they're probably doing with governments. They're saying delete, uh, you know, and they, they'll go around it. So that's dangerous, you know, because government is now losing potential investments, potential tax. They're going to other countries that are much more friendly. That's why some of the countries you mentioned have been known to be doing negative things. There are countries that you've not mentioned that are doing positive. So investment and money will follow where it's attracted to. New money is not about oil. New money is about data. Where is the data? Where is the data technology and the ecosystem going to right now in Africa? Is it going to Kenya? Is it going to Rwanda? Is it going to Ghana? And if it's coming to Nigeria, is it just within Lagos? in the hubs, and then they can easily exit because there's no presence, like you said. They have no physical presence. Having no physical presence is what the internet is about, for crying out loud. That's the model 
the model has always been about no presence. But we are still hatched onto this, I need to see it physically. It's not about bricks and mortars. It's about knowledge. And that's the difference. And I think that's where we're struggling. The struggle, and I, and I see it, and I, I empathize with the old because I'm no longer as young as I used to be, but I grew up in that world. So I'm a creation of that world. I might be this old. I was once a hacker. I'm, you know, I'm a coder, high, you know, real-time programming, everything. So I absorbed myself in this thing. So I'm an embodiment of it. But my peers are not. They're still harking on to the old, old sectors, the old professions. Those are old. Look, at even the banking sector has been disrupted. Fintech, you know, blockchain. These didn't just come out yesterday. They've been around for 10 years. Artificial intelligence has been around since 1958, you know. But a lot of the people who are now in position of power didn't grow up with that, you see. Or they resisted. And I'm saying right now, maybe in the past you could do that, but right now you can't. You can't no longer be a dinosaur. You can't be a laggard. You have to be part of the warriors. And the youth have to be a warrior. They can't be part of that generation that says, oh, I'm always going to sit in my house and do lesbian agriculture. What about precision agriculture? Why not use technology to improve yield? Yes, there's always a struggle. But if we don't do it, others will do it. And that's the problem. The world doesn't stop because you are stopped. And I think the frustration that I'm hearing and a, a lot of frustration that I'm seeing is that the youth are disengaged. It's not that they're not doing anything. They're not communicating what they're engaged. So if you don't communicate, how do you know what you're doing? How do we know what you're doing? You know, so there's not this engagement. And I think that's the concern I have. If there isn't this engagement and government is in one side of the world and society and the majority of the millennials on the other, then what's happened to the gap? Who fills the gap? And that's a problem. And it's a problem for Nigeria, not a problem for the BTEC, not a problem for the internet, not a problem for social media. It's a Nigerian problem. And I think we need a national orientation that gives us a vision. It gives us a goal. It gives us a dream of where Nigeria should head. And we use technology to enable us to get there. Otherwise, there isn't really, I'm sorry to say this, I don't want to be bleak, but there's no future for Nigeria. It's plain and simple. And those African countries that can do those things is where the investments will go to. That's why I see a lot of our neighboring countries are benefiting from where we are lacking. And that is engagement. Thank you. Wow. Who will bell the cat is what we ask today. Will Nigeria, as Africans' giant in quotes, lead Africa through this innovative wave? This goes straight to the heart of the issue today. We've been speaking to a guest who has strong connections with the Nigerian Regulatory Authority and the Ministry of Communications and Digital Economy, where he's helping to pave the way for real change in broadband and telecoms in Nigeria and improving the lives of communities across the country. He's the immediate past president of the Association of Telecommunication Companies of Nigeria, ATCON, the National Coordinator for the Alliance for Affordable Internet and a member of the Institute of Directors, IOD, both in Nigeria and in London. Mr. Ulushola Teniola, thank you very much for the time and for the insights. It's been really wonderful speaking to you. Thank you very much and have a great day. Thanks for listening and don't forget to catch up on all the live shows right here on africatechradio.com.